so that you know uh, everything that we have uh, planned and prayed about and uh, presented to you today, a whole lot of effort from every department here in the church, uh, whether it's music, tech, all of those individuals, uh, they have worked, you know, they, they don't know what 40 hours a week is. Uh, they, they know what 60 and 70 plus hours a week are. But the whole deal is it's the greatest day, historical day that we understand. It's Resurrection Sunday. You see, you can have the birth of Jesus, but had he not become the sacrificial lamb and resurrected from that grave, uh, we could have lived a good life, but we would have still been uh, damned by sin because death had yet to be conquered. But Easter Sunday, he was on that cross, Good Friday, of course, and then on that cross, but on the third day, he rose again. Amen. Amen. I'm just serving notice. He rose again, and he is alive right now, according to the Bible, at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. But everything that we do today is just to, uh, is to encourage you. If you're a, not a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is, uh, you may profess, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm saved or I'm born again. Well, let me, let me give you just, the Bible said, if that's true, you're going to manifest fruit. People are going to know that the priority of your life and your family is Jesus and church. You can't separate the bride from the bridegroom. Uh, people are going to know that that is really the priority of your life. Or we also want to encourage those who may be followers and you've become, you know, just a little cold. Now, the Bible speaks about that in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. He said, it's sad you become lukewarm and some you've forgotten your first love. So we want you to know today is the day that we're praying that you'll just ask Jesus to forgive you and that we'll do better. And the needle, we're only asking the needle in life to move just a little bit. So, uh, and just we get better and become more faithful or we become followers, maybe for the first time out of the message today. And the message is entitled, uh, Now uh, is the Time. So here's, here's something in Luke, Luke's writings, 1827. What is impossible for people to do is possible for God. You believe that? Amen. It's possible. What's impossible with man is possible for God. Physical science says that your body can live without food for a few weeks. It also says that, that you can live without water for just maybe uh, a few days, but, but the reality is you cannot live without oxygen or breath, but just a few seconds or maybe minutes. And the reality, that's just the way nature is. But one thing you cannot live without, and I want you to, to place this in your heart of hearts, is you can't live without hope. Hope is so extremely important to you. Hope is something that God gives each of us. Now you might say, well, hope and optimism are the same. No, they're not. Optimism is psychological. Man, that person is an optimist. That's psychological. Hope is theological. It says that I believe that what man cannot do, that God can do. I believe that all things are possible to them that believe. You believe that God is able as a matter of fact, the kin, the sister to hope is faith. 
Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hope is what causes you to keep that journey consistent. I believe, I believe, I believe. I hope so. I'm loving God because of it. Many have lost loved ones and many have been disappointed and situations didn't work out and, and they felt hopeless and in the situ- when a circumstance didn't happen. But there's one thing for sure, real hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was lost, I was damned, I was tormented. I could not be good enough until the resurrection took place and that resurrection gave me hope to believe that as John 14 says, that our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, is making a mansion, a place that you and I are going to abide in heaven. I believe that heaven is a real place. We know that it is important. One of the most historical days happens to be Easter Sunday. When you write a date on anything today, let's say April the, uh, April the 14th, is that it today? How many of you just really, you don't know? Go ahead, raise your hand. So I'd raise your hand. It might be the first time you get to raise your hand in church. Get up. How many know it's not April the 14th? How many of you honestly don't know what the day is? How many of you would guess April 16th? That's good. We'll settle then. April 16th. That's the real date. Some of you took your phones out, you're checking. <laughs> what does that mean? 2017 years ago from what? It's from when Jesus split history into A.D. from B.C. You see, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you still refer to him every time you write a date down, every time you celebrate a birthday, it's from something. Your birth date is dated by the event of the resurrection. That's how powerful the resurrection is. We know that nothing works perfectly. How many of you will raise your hand and help me with this? Your body works as perfectly at 50 as it did when you were 25. You're falling apart. You see, nothing works perfectly. The weather doesn't work perfectly. The economy, relationships, career plans, because we live in a broken world. what, What brought the... The break, it was sin. Started Adam and Eve. They blew it in our behalf. And as a result, you have broken families, broken lives, homes, dreams, all of that. But there are three people I want to talk to you about in our brief time together this morning. Everybody say brief. And thanks for saying it. It doesn't mean a thing. Just letting you know you needed to say it. And matter of fact, I preach faster and better but an amen from time to time. (laughs) Mary Magdalene, Thomas, and the last one would be Peter. Three individuals who reached a hopeless place in their lives. You see, far too many put their hope in all the wrong things, all the wrong people, and all the right circumstances, all the wrong circumstances. People will place their hope in status, success, and money, and, and they'll be disappointed every single time. But you can never, never, never place your hope in Jesus and ever be disappointed. You see, my friend, he is always 
going to give you hope, always going to support you hope, and always going to be manifested in your life as much as you will let him. Some of you may not know that he hung out for maybe six weeks or so after the resurrection, and he actually appeared before some individuals one-on-one. Mary Magdalene was one of those. He appeared to as much as 500 on one occasion and several people on another. But the first person that, that he revealed himself to was Mary Magdalene. And she, she awakened early in the morning and went to the tomb where Jesus uh, should have been. Mary Magdalene is quite a story and testimony. All she ever wanted to be was loved and respected and treated right. She believed a passel of lies from individuals and men who took advantage of her and abused her. She went from one failed relationship to another and one disappointment to another. She couldn't figure out what she was doing wrong, but one day she met the hope of the world. His name was Jesus. You know the story. The story goes that Jesus did not remind her of all the bad things that she had done. He didn't ask her to complete a resume. He knew her inside and out. But from the very moment that she met him, he treated her with dignity, he treated her with respect, and he treated her with love. He didn't remind her of all of her faults and her shortcomings or how many times that without her knowledge even that he had given her grace. He not only respected her, but he liberated her from her misery. He liberated her from her habits and her hurts and her hang-ups and did an inside-out job on her. It didn't matter how many times she was stuck in bad relationships and she kept going round and round and round and could not get out of her addictions, could not get out of the voices of demons that spoke to her, that is, until she met Jesus. You see, she understood the only people that showed up Jesus crucifixion was Mary, Jesus' mother, Salami, Jesus' aunt, and Mary Magdalene, the one that he'd done so much for. And there was one, John, one of his dear friends. You see, the Jews, when he died, Jews didn't allow you to do anything on the Sabbath. They planted Jesus in a grave. Back in those days, the graves were hewn out of the rock, and there'd be several in the caves in the side of the mountain, and they would bury them there, and that's the way it was. But on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to anoint a body, touch a dead body, or anything. Well, she, she went down to expect things on that Easter Sunday morning, and of course, she wanted, to, she wanted to anoint, and something unusual happened. It was before daylight. I thought about that this morning at about 5.30. It was still dark and, and beautiful on the outside, and must have been Mary who visited the tomb about this time, he asked Mary two important questions because she was crying. Why are you crying? And he asked her, um, Mary, who are you looking for? Well, I would have been crying and you would have been crying because she was grieving the loss. She knew she saw him with that spear in his side. She knew she saw him with a crown of thorns and blood running down his face. She remembered that. It had only been several hours since that took place. She realized he was the only person that really understood her, that answered her questions, and she was allowed to ask her questions as many times as she wanted to. And Jesus, she knew, would always listen. 
She knew that sometimes her prayer was not answered. Other times she just found someone to console. And you see, her perspective, when she realized that he was not in that grave, her perspective, her human nature, would not let her look beyond what she considered to be reality. You see, when you're dead, you're dead. Her human nature, her perception could not come to the place to where he could actually be resurrected, that he is not there. Her, her perspective would not allow her to launch into the realm of faith, into the realm of miracles, into the realm that says, wow, there must be something more. There must have been something that to what he said. She thought it was hopeless. He's dead. It's finished. And Jesus stood there. She thought he was the gardener. Do you remember that? But when Jesus called her name, she knew. She then recognized that voice. And she recognized the person behind the voice that called her name. Mary, he said, I know who you are. I know you by name. I care about you. At that moment, she realized that something supernatural was taking place. You see, here's the point. It's never too late for a miracle. I said earlier, what's impossible for people to do is possible with God. You might be an individual gathered in this room to, today and and you mind me, you came because somebody invited you or it's Easter Sunday, but God wants you to pay attention to him. God wants you to listen to every word because something that God has to say today will positively impact your life if you let it happen. Why are you crying? And so I ask you, what's caused disappointment in your life? What's brought challenge to you? What's opened the door to anger or resentment? What's opened the door for deception and, and unbelief in your own life? The bottom line is we always seem to look in the wrong place, don't we, in the carnal and in the natural. We replace one pain for another pain, one lie for another lie. We come to the realization sooner or later that, that there's only one truth, only one in his name is Jesus Christ. And if you let yourself just for one moment believe your life if you're a non-believer, can change in an instant. Or if you're a believer and you reaffirm your faith and nail it down once and for all, you can begin to see the kind of favor that you really have been asking for. What about old Thomas? He was known as Doubting Thomas. Sure. You might say, but that old rascal, what a doubter he was. And you know what? Some of us might be in his boat, doubting as well, had we been in the same circumstances. Jesus was crucified. We know that he was resurrected and appeared to his followers. That was his message. He had preached that message for more than three years, especially to the disciples that knew him. And no matter how much he preached that message, no matter how many times he said, I'm going to face a crucifixion, I'm going to the tomb, I'm going to come back again, no matter how many times he said it, they still didn't get it. 
But you know why that is? You see, culture today and sin and the powers of evil will blind us to the truth. That's what the Bible says. When we get ready to get out of the perspective of carnal nature into the realm of supernatural nature, the devil will never let us really see that. He'll blind us and create superficial circumstances that we just can't grasp it. And though he had said it and spoke it and taught it and they lived with him, they still didn't catch it. Do you know why? Because supernatural promises come from a supernatural God. And until you listen to him and open your understanding through your faith, will you ever be able to walk right in a spiritual life that brings pleasure to the Heavenly Father? Well, when they saw the crucifixion, Thomas and others, and it's over. They were demoralized. No hope again. Dream is dead. Thomas had a lot of doubts. He had honest doubts. He didn't just say, well, somebody said it, somebody said it. I believe it. He had what is considered to be healthy skepticism. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, yeah, we saw Jesus. He's resurrected. But the disciples had gathered together in a room primarily to support one another. They got together and said, well, we're afraid. Right after that period of time, Mary Magdalene came and told him and said, I've seen him. He said to come tell you guys, and that's what I'm doing. And then Jesus appeared. They thought, wow. They touched him, and of course, they said, wow, God, it's really you, Jesus. You are a resurrected Lord. It really happened. <coughs> they told Thomas. Thomas said, yeah, sure, guys. You're all drinking too much coffee, you know. You're too afraid. You're beginning to see things you shouldn't see. You know, in order for me to believe, I'm going to have to touch him. He's going to have to appear to me. That's just the way it's going to be. How many of you know someone stubborn like that? May I see your hand? That's right, a few stubborn people. Well, sure enough, a week later or so, maybe eight days later, they're gathered again. Jesus comes in. He walks up to Thomas. Thomas, how you doing, son? Now, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Let's call that the Wayne Blackburn version. How you doing, son? Understand that uh, the boys here told you that I visited them last week. Yeah. You weren't here, is that right? Here's what they reported to me, that you said the only way you would believe if you touched the nail prints in my hands. Thomas, here's my hand. Touch it. Wow. Put your hand in my side. You feel that? Yeah. What do you say now, Thomas? Well, my Lord, my God. You see, friend, unless you allow Jesus to give you the privilege to reach out and touch him, Amen. you won't ever believe 
And here's what God did. The Bible said that all of us have given just a little measure of faith. Now, that's not only for supernatural. That's, that's for us to be able to survive in life. Can you imagine what it would be like to live a life with no faith in anything? You'd be afraid to go out of the house. You'd never be able to get in your car and start it because you wouldn't have faith that it would. You wouldn't be able to experience an adventure in life. You wouldn't be able to have children. You wouldn't be able to do anything because that little measure of faith not only is good for the supernatural, and that's the primary reason it was given, but in order for you to have a life of fulfillment that brings you hope in life to some degree in things that do work, he gave you a measure of faith. But the real reason he gave you a measure of faith is to be able to take the step from the perspective of human nature into the realm of the supernatural. Do you believe in the resurrection? It takes faith to say, oh yeah. Do you believe he's coming back again? It takes faith to say, I really do believe it. Do you really want to go to heaven? I do. For you to do that, you're going to have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sins and by faith believe if you pray that prayer, he will forgive you of your sins. Amen. It takes that faith, that faith that makes a difference in an eternal hell and damnation and going to an eternal heaven and life ever after. You see, my friend, doubt sometimes is a good thing. It drives us to the truth. But if doubt is arrogant and stubborn and prideful and single-minded, that's ego. But real doubt that will get you somewhere says, I don't know, but I am willing to try. I'm open. I'm open to the idea. Thomas put his hands and says, see my wounds. It's really me. Feel my wounds. My Lord, my God. And here's a number it only takes the beginning to start a miracle, but it's never too late to start believing. Doesn't matter if you're 10, doesn't matter if you're 18, doesn't matter if you're 50 or 150. You can start believing before you will ever believe. You have to give yourself permission to say, I'm going to check this out. And there are six phases that causes you to develop life in life and develop dreams and in order to have a fruitful life here on earth. One, it takes a dream or a goal. It says, hey, I, I have something to work toward. Here's another. It takes a decision to begin to see it fulfilled. You see, dreams are a dime a dozen, but unless you decide to say, I'm going after it, It'll never materialize. Then there's always a delay. Man, I, I had the dream. I reached the goal. I decided. But man, nothing is happening. And you know what? In God's economy, we have to understand like little children learn that there's a difference between no and not yet. If you say not yet, children think it's no. Well, it's no or not yet. And then you have difficulty. Boy, I cast my lot in there. There are difficulty. All kind of walls have come up. Things have crashed. Then there's the dead end. Man, oh man, oh man, it's over. The deal didn't close. We were engaged, but he broke it off. The job I liked, they went out of business. The raise didn't come through. The idea that I thought was so great that others agreed with, it fell flat. 
But right next door to a dead end is always a miracle. For a miracle would not be necessary if there were no dead ends. So here it is. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have gathered on the campuses of Victory Church, Lakeside, and here today. And God is saying, boy, I got a miracle. And God is saying, now's the time to believe. And God is saying, the same resurrection power that I brought Jesus from the dead is within you and within your reach. It turns from a crucifixion to a resurrection, and he specializes in that. Thomas doubted, and he went through those phases. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord isn't late with his promises, as some measure lateness. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he's giving more time to everyone to repent. Why hasn't he come? God, when is it going to end? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But why hasn't he come? Because if there's just one more person in this room or in the live feed, or one more person tomorrow who remembers this message that simply says, Jesus, would you forgive me? I reached a dead end in my life. Or I've got all kinds of things, but I'm not happy. There's a miracle and a deliverance from you. And the reason Jesus has not come and the rapture hasn't taken place, he's waiting on you to repent. The Greek word repent, to turn your mind, to change your mind, to make a 180, to go in a different direction. Wow. Here's another Peter Peter, the most famous of the disciples, I would say, Peter, he was a real rascal. How many of you are married to a real rascal? May I see your hand? You know you are. There are people who think Sharon is married to a real rascal. I can take it. I wore my pink tie today. I am not insecure. <laughs> Over two billion people are celebrating the resurrection today all across the world. Two billion. Easter, the most significant event in history. Jesus, who came in the form of a man, died and rose from the grave on the third day. You can't imagine what kind of sight that must have been. Peter, man, he had, Peter had his own swag as one of the disciples. He was an individual that was positive from the word go. Peter thought he was invincible. Peter thought that he's supposed to know the answer to every challenge that any of the other disciples, he gave his advice freely. Oh yeah, he's the one that jumped out of the boat and wow, it was unbelievable. For a split second or two, he actually walked on the water until he lapsed back into human behavior and he began to sink. Wow, but at least he tried. He was the individual, of course, that took things in his own hand. He was a marksman with that sword. 
I mean, it's amazing to me. He took that Roman centurion's ear right off, hearing aid and all. I mean, he took it right off. Jesus had to reach down and say, listen, dummy, not yet. Put the ear back on. That would have been enough for me, you know? I mean, to see an ear. I mean, I, I saw a human toe one time, but man, an ear. Unbelievable. So here he is. He is prime. He is the epitome. Is I got my act together. So they're meeting in an intimate time. Got it? Jesus says, uh, uh, one of you is going to deny me and betray me. You're going to dip your hand here. But, but listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> you might be talking to the beloved John, but I'm not John. You might be talking over there to Matthias, but I'm not. Do you know I am Peter? I'll die for you. You know anybody that confident? I'll die. You say, well, let's see. Jesus marched off to the judgment hall. Peter's there, gets around, gets around a fire, warms his hands. He's checking things out because he's the sentry guard, you know. And one, one little gal, barely 15, asked him, your dialect, aren't you one of the followers? Nope. Another says, but I do believe I saw you with him. Nope. I just got to tell you, you sound like you are from Polk County, Florida. You got to be one of his. Ain't so. And the rooster crowed. How do you think Mr. Confident felt? Not once, not twice. Are we getting longer with this message? Three times. Wept crashed and burned. The biggest failure that he could have made, he made. And it was all about Peter. The biggest sin that he concerned, he, he let Jesus down. He had more faith and more confidence in himself. And it was unbelievable for him to think that he could do that. Boy, have you ever done anything that you thought, I was an idiot I should have never done that. Have you ever done something you think God will never, never forgive me for that? Peter was there. Well, we get to the end here, and here we go. I said, we get to the end here. They're on the Sea of Galilee, I heard you. Three men's are enough. We get to the Sea of Galilee. They're out fishing, doing what they've always done. Jesus gives them instruction of 
how to do a little better job fishing. It's the way I feel sometimes. <laughs> they hear his voice. Jesus beckons them to the shore. The fish are there. They had fish. They had deep fried hush puppies. They had coleslaw. They had cheese grits. They had fish that was perfectly filleted, no bones, with a little bit of cornmeal and just a dust of flour, crispy brown. It was a platter that big. And they ate. Now, how do you think Peter's doing? You think he's over there hiding behind John? How do you think Peter's doing? You think he's back there behind one of the other disciples? Jesus goes, hey, Peter. Hey, Jesus. What would you say, Peter? Now, I'm paraphrasing. I said, how are you doing, Peter? I'm okay. He didn't say, Peter, get on out here and be a man. You yellow belly, no good for nothing chicken. Get on out here where I can talk to you. Your big mouth got you in trouble again. Get over here and kneel down right there and give me that prayer posture. No, give me 20 push-ups right here and right now. I'm going to make I'm going to make an example out of you. I thought of all the disciples you'd be the man. No, he didn't do that. Here's what he did. Hey Peter, do you love me? He didn't castigate. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Boy, the release that Peter must have felt to hear him have another opportunity. Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, let, let me ask you again. Are you sure you love me? Lord, oh, Lord, I sure do love you. Thanks for another opportunity. Good, feed my sheep. Peter, do you really mean what you're saying? Do you really love me? Peter had that little tinge of how many times do you have to ask me that I've told you? But each time Peter denied it, Jesus gave him another opportunity to be restored. Only this time he didn't say feed my sheep. This time he said feed my lambs. And this is what he said of Peter's experience. Because of what you've gone through. Because of the journey that you took in that season of denial, I'm forgiving you because I want you to use your denial. And I want them on April the 16th, 2017, to be able to talk about or your failure and tell everybody that you were forgiven by the same one you denied because I love you, Peter, just like you are. I love you. Come on. Just like you are. Wow.
amazing as it was, Peter felt the release. And so finally, here we are. We find in 2 Corinthians 5, whenever anyone puts their total trust in Christ, they become a new person. They aren't the same anymore. The old way of living disappears. They get a fresh start and a brand new life. I kind of think that Peter was a better man after his failure than he was before his failure. And I kind of believe that some of us have walked through seasons and circumstances and difficulties where life has not been fair. And yet, through it all, he has always loved us and forgiven us and still loves us and desires to forgive us. Amen? How do you feel about that? I feel really good about that. Would you stand? So here we are. Remember what I told you? I'm going to ask the ushers to hold the doors. I'm going to ask you because one of the most sacred times in the service is right now. So stay with me. God spoke to your heart, all of us. He spoke to the hearts and lives of those that are listening online. Because the word of God will not return back void. God will always plant a seed. But here's, here's what always happens. Every time you're exposed to truth, you have to do one of two things. You have to say either I receive it or by virtue of not receiving it, you reject it. And you see, Peter was the kind of man, he rejected a lot of things, sometimes wisdom. Thomas was the kind of guy, he just lived a life that, that doubted about everything. Everything had to be proven. Mary Magdalene, she lived a life trying to find the right thing in the right place, and she never could. These are all real people. And some of you out there this morning fit one of these three. There's some of you in the room, and you'll say, I'm a professing believer. But if you look at your fruit, and here's the best way to determine if what you say is being lived out. Ask your closest friends if they see the walk of Christ in your lifestyle. If they see you make decisions sometimes that you have to sacrifice other things in order to, to do what God wants you to do. You see, if you say you are and there's no fruit, you're deceiving yourself. And it's time you came to grips with the reality of truth. And then some of you are here, you're discouraged. You, you're doing your best to live for Jesus. And there's one dead end and one discouragement and one weight and one, just one thing after another. But every time you get to a dead end, here's what you can count on. If you remain faithful to Jesus, he will give you a resurrection in due season. He will. A resurrection in your business, a resurrection in your marriage, resurrection in your relationship, resurrection on your job, resurrection in your finances. That's what he's in the business of doing. And then some of you, 
You're just lost. You haven't been willing to admit it, but you're just lost. And today is a day that hope can come into your heart. And I can tell you, right now, every angel in heaven is peering over, looking upon us, and watching the Holy Spirit move. And it's called conviction. Conviction is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify a need in my life that God wants to fix. That's his desire. So would you bow your heads with me right now? And everyone, would everyone, unless you're vehemently opposed to it, would you repeat this prayer after Brother Day? Please do that. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I am sorry. I, am sorry. I, have sinned. I have sinned. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And, I need forgiveness. and I need forgiveness. I have misbehaved. I have misbehaved. I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I have been proud. I have been proud. And Father God, and Father God I, have taken you for granted. I have taken you for granted. But today, but today I, humble myself I humble myself in your holy presence, your holy presence on, this Easter Sunday, on this Easter Sunday and say to you, say to you be, the Lord of my life. be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Me of my sins. Come, into my heart Come into my heart and give me a reason, give me a reason to, move to move forward in my service for you. My service for you. I know you're a miracle worker because you have given me miracles before. And I have received favor when I did not deserve it. So today, I bring my heart and I give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain with your heads bowed. And just quietly listen for a moment. You prayed that prayer, and maybe you have been a little lax. Maybe you've been a little lukewarm. Maybe you have taken your faith for granted. Or maybe you have talked a good talk, and in the reality, you haven't walked the walk hardly at all. Or maybe, just maybe, you've been arrogant and self-centered and you've never really, really given your life to Christ. I mean to the point of change. To the point that say, hey, no longer my agenda, but the agenda of the Holy Spirit. You prayed that prayer and you are counting on this. You're counting on the prayer that you prayed from your heart to be the prayer that will serve notice in heaven that your name is written and secure in the Lamb's book of life and that if something were to happen and you were to die you can go back to this day and say that day I made things right and Father I'm not ashamed so while every head is bowed and every eye is closing on the ground floor in the upper deck If you prayed it and that's your prayer, when you meant it, would you raise your hand right now? I meant it. I prayed it up in the balcony. God bless you. Bunches and bunches of you all over the place of which we give God the praise. Please look this way. I have an individual that I spent some time with, Josh McDowell.
Josh McDowell um, was an intellectual, and he still is. But in his journey, he tried to prove, tried to disprove Christianity. He said, the more that uh, I tried to disprove Christianity, the more I realized that what I was trying to disprove was real. And he said, in my study, just looking at it black and white on paper, researching, going through the documents, he said, I got saved because the truth always wins. As a result of that, I'll never forget, he and I were in the back seat of a vehicle and we were talking and he turned to me and he said, Pastor Blackburn, would you pray for me? He said, I've got this great ministry that is going, but I have a son that's not living for Jesus. And I look at the thousands and thousands and thousands of young people that I've won to Christ and my own son. We prayed right there at the airport in the taxi that had taken us to the airport. God, would you reveal your truth? I'm happy to report to you today. His son is involved, engaged in ministry, telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He. So here's the book. And I want all of you who simply slip forward, if you want the book and say, I want the book. What happened when I set out to disprove Christianity? Why the resurrection makes a difference. Evidence of the resurrection. Jesus dead, buried. What's next? All in this book right here. Right here. It's not very big. So if you raised your hand and you said, I want that book. Or you're an individual that maybe you've been waffling a little bit. We're going to come down. You can receive the book. We're going to sing this song through once and wait for those who want to respond. Those of you in the balcony, make your way down the aisles. Don't leave without this wonderful material. Let's sing before you go. I'll give the benediction in a moment.